Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in the studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more, so definitely join in the conversation on social media. You can find all our accounts and so much more at OchoDuroParlayHour.com. But let us kick off this edition of the ODPH, recapping and reviewing the biggest movie of 2020 per se, Pad? Uh, yeah. Nor- uh, normally, I'd say it's a pretty big movie, but it's kind of hard to judge with everything going on, you know, in a normal year that we were kind of expecting and predicting to have happen. Uh, but then once things happen the way they were, no, yeah, biggest movie of 2020. Definitely has to be. And that movie is Wonder Woman 84 or Wonder Woman 1984, if you want to give the full title. Yes. The long-awaited sequel to 2017's Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins, starring the one and only Gail Godot, Mm -hmm. has finally graced us either via HBO Max, or if you're lucky to go to the theaters and see it, you can go see it. Or if you got a dope-ass projector, which I'm envious of you. Yeah, if you have one of those, man, I'm jealous as well. So the movie dropped on Christmas Day. We have our reviews. We've been waiting to post about this and talk about it. So here is the time we're going to do it. And I just want to say, neither of us have t- spoken to each other about this film uh, since we've seen it. We are well, so once we, when you hear our reactions and us exchanging dialogue back and forth, this isn't with any pre, you know, conversations uh, built, built into this. Also, I want to say. Uh, to you motherfuckers who were dropping spoilers 12 hours after the fucking movie came out on quite possibly the busiest day of the year for, for people, uh, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, because I was not able to watch it as soon as it dropped because, well, I had two places to be that day. Uh, one, uh, part of the day with my girlfriend's family and then part with my family. And I know my brother and his girlfriend wanted to watch it. So we were going to wait and watch all watch it together. So I literally was dodging spoilers from about. Yeah, not like very shortly after the damn thing came out until I could finish it. So fuck you. Exactly. We have instituted the 72 hour uh, embargo that you do not post any kind of spoilers going on any which way, shape or form on the ODPH social media, because we want to give fans the opportunity to watch this firsthand Mm -hmm. that you should be able to make up your own mind because it's so big and important of a movie as we talked about last episode with the with wonder woman 84 so that all being said we have the 72 hour window has now finally wrapped up we are going to be talking spoilers so if you haven't seen it yet pause the episode jump in the conversation because we are going to deep dive into wonder woman 1984 in three two one pad what did you think? I thought it was okay. Um, not the greatest sequel of all time by any by any means, but it was okay. And my biggest issue with it, and I'm sure we'll get into this in, in a minute, was how long it took to get anything like any sort of substantive story going. Like it was at least what like an hour in before you really got the ball rolling. But just in general, it was okay. I was disappointed. Okay, but I will break it down as we go on because where the movie kicks off into is we have a trip back to Themyscira. Mm-hmm. And you see that young Diana is trying to compete in a competition mm-hmm. for something. For something. I mean, this was just a cool throwback. I mean, it was a nice introduction to the movie. Yeah. 
as we see that she's back and obviously trying to win some competition. And where she goes, she loses her horse during this. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the big takeaway that she had to improvise to get her horse back to win said competition. Yep. And obviously her aunt decided to step in and take it away from her, which uh, Robin Young does take reprise the role of Antipope mm-hmm. to be the uh, overseeing mentor to Diana. And yep. the moral of this whole montage, which, I mean, I will say it was a cool action yeah. sequence. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the moral was trying to say that no true hero was born from lies. Also, don't cut corners. But don't cut corners. But then again, in the same breath, though, I have to say this. Mm-hmm. She improvised when she lost her horse. See, I didn't even I, I didn't even think she law initially you know lost the competition because she lost a horse and this and that. She missed one of the targets when she when she was going along because there was the one she was supposed to hit when she was going down the trail that because she had lost her horse and went sliding down the whatever that was, you know. Yeah. She completely I that's what I thought it was was that, you know, obviously there's a whole don't cut corners, don't do this, don't do that. It was also the fact that, hey, you missed one of the markers. That could have been. And like I say, I I just took it as like she was improvising on the fly. Oh, yeah. No, which I agree. And, and, and I think normally they'd look at that and go, oh, no, yeah, that's a virtue. But you're obviously trying to teach her a lesson. She was trying to teach her a lesson. So like I say, Antope uh, was definitely trying to be the mentor. And that was kind of be the underlying theme for the movie. Mm-hmm. So note to self. Okay. The theme is supposed to be no true hero is born from lies. Right. So let us fast forward to 1984. Mm-hmm. So obviously we know the last time we saw Diana was in World War One time. Yep. So now she is established in Washington, D.C. She's working at the Smithsonian. Yep. And during this, she's also still crime fighting as Wonder Woman. And not really trying to hide it as much as we thought. Well, yeah, that was the kind of the puzzling point, too, because she was trying to be incognito. While also not. Yeah, it was kind of this weird vibe that was yeah, set. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously in in bright sunlight. It's a little hard to kind of conspicuously be like Batman and, and fight the bad guys. But it's funny because in the, there's the one sequence where she's stopping the robbery in the mall and she takes out all of the uh, security cameras. Mm-hmm. But she's fighting in front of people and, and the, only, the only way she has of stopping people from telling about her is, shh, let's keep it our little secret. So it's like, Okay. Well, the one thing we all have to remember, too, is it being 1984, there's no camera phones. Sure. And the time period, it was written for, it has that whole Stranger Things vibe to it. Okay. But it's not the same. And obviously, this was kind of a, you would say, a throwaway scene of action. Yeah. You can, because obviously, you have a, a, a heist of a jewelry store that they know the people that own the store are selling black market artifacts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is kind of like, okay, well, this is a deeper mystery going involved. Sure. But we'll roll with it. And obviously you have a great action sequence with Gail Godot involved. Yeah. Which, I mean, is one of the highlights of Wonder Woman. That When they do their big action sequences, it pays off. Mm-hmm. So that being said, there's a bunch of artifacts that come to the Smithsonian. Diana is now going to investigate with a new employee that is there to one Barbara Minerva, played by Kristen Wiig, mm-hmm. who is the typical awkward friend. Yeah, that is trying to fit in but yeah, doesn't. Which is so 1980s. Yeah, I mean, we we yeah. have we have to put that in perspective. Yeah, that okay, it's during this time period. Stuff's a little more cliche, we'll say. Sure, but either way. They are investigating what is going on with what the FBI has brought them because they have to figure out, okay, what is the deal with 
these artifacts? Like, right. why were they so important? So important, and I think also it was a case of just like, hey, we got to figure out if anybody actually owns these things and like give them back to them. So uh, naturally, the Smithsonian made perfect sense. Oh yeah, it absolutely did. So I mean, it it fits what it needs to. Yeah, they both come across though one big item that we didn't think about at first, but yet no. again, it turned out to be a bigger deal at, at uh, later on in the film, and that is the Dreamstone. Mm-hmm. And there is an inscription on it. And what it sums up is the possessor of the stone can make a wish and you have to give up something for it. Yep. So during this time, we know that Diana somehow does the wish to see her long lost love, Steve Trevor, come back to life. Yeah. We don't know what the deal is supposed to be with this. But she makes the deal. Yeah, and I mean, this was kind of one of the confusing parts of it was that she holds it, and I can't remember because I've only seen the movie once. Mm-hmm. If it was like they were because re- they read the description or whatever it was I know at one point, and I can't remember if it was like, oh yeah, it grants wishes, and you know, she just kind of in, in her head went, boy, it sure would be nice to see Steve again. Type. Of, it, it was one of those moments that like. I feel like even if you did like a, a voiceover inner monologue type of thing, would have explained it a little bit better because, as is in the film. She holds the stone and he just shows up. Yeah, it's just this weird sequence. Yeah. And how he even shows up, too, is a little weirder, but I digress. So you have both Diana read this and then Barbara reads this, too, because mm-hmm. she basically says, I want to be more like Diana. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, it, it, was that a wish she didn't know she was getting into. Oh, exactly. So during this time, though, Diana goes back. There's a big gala that's happening. Yep. And she sees this man come up and start talking to her. Lo and behold... It is Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine. Mm -hmm. Now, Pine is only seen to Diana. Yep. Everybody else is seeing this random stranger. Mm -hmm. Now, they did not, in my opinion, do a good job about clarifying this. No, they didn't. No, this was just like, okay, he's Steve Trevor to her, but to everybody else, he's some random guy. Well, and I I even, I feel like maybe there would have been an opportunity to you know, show them from somebody else's perspective. Yeah. And you see the other guy there because it was just very confusing. It was like, wait, so this guy just ceased to exist and and Steve took over his body and took over his likeness or or took, you know, took over his body and made him look like him or like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. It just wasn't clarified at all. And I thought that that really hurt what they were trying to do because it wasn't really flat out said, like she made the line about making the wish. But as we find out later in the film, you're supposed to give up something. Yep. At which point did we ever find that out? Not, I don't think we did. So, uh, not till later in the film. Not we, till real later. We in the did. Film. We did find out though. But you have to make that deal. And the same time too, Barbara did read it off, and like we said, she wanted to be more like Diana. Yep. Well, she does develop more confidence because she is attacked at one point. And Diana has to make her save. So you do see that she's now coming of age mm-hmm. of being somebody that is more confident, and the power of the stone is taking hold of her. Right. And this also ties into a person that decides to uh, have a little ulterior motives going on with this. Mm-hmm. That is one Maxwell Lord, played by Pedro Pascal. If this man doesn't get an award this year for something, it's a goddamn crime. If there's anybody that has won 2020, it's Pedro Pascal. No, it's this guy. It is this guy. You go from the last episode of, of Mandalorian and just kind of like the emotional range of that with what his character was doing to this, night and day. Oh, absolutely. And he comes in playing... The ultimate 80s representation. Greed is good. Yep. 
bigger is better. Money, 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 money. Yeah, because we see him earlier on a TV screen, and he's doing the whole uh, spiel about, you know, if you want something, take it, it's yours. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it represents a lot, if you've ever seen Wall Street by Michael Douglas. Mm -hmm. You know, greed is good. It is that vibe. Yeah. I know they can make comparisons to other people, but it is what it is. He is representing the 80s to the letter. Oh, my God, yeah. And obviously, he comes to the Smithsonian looking for information, and he does come across the, the Dreamstone as well. So when they go back to the gala, he winds up seducing mm-hmm. Barbara, who is now coming into grips that she's now not the same person she is. Like I said, it's a coming of a changing of age, I would say. Yep. As during this, though, Maxwell seduces her, gets the, the dream stone, and thus his wish is to become the embodiment of the stone. So yeah. basically he becomes the stone. Yeah. Which is a wild take. Yeah, different. I was okay with it. Yeah. Didn't have any issues with it. Because you knew that he was trying to do something. And obviously we knew from his backstory that he was essentially a con man. Yep. That he was fronting about an oil company that he had. He was lying to investors. He's lying to his son that he was you know, saying, okay, well, you can have this, you can have this. and But he didn't want to spend any time with him. Mm-hmm. And that becomes an underlying the- uh, theme going on throughout the movie. Right. Because once Maxwell Lord starts encompassing the power of the Dreamstone, we see a dramatic change of pace in the movie. Mm-hmm. This is where the movie gets interesting to a degree. And, and no, we should note that this isn't until like well over an hour into the movie. Right. Which is one of my gripes about the film is like I get that one of the things they say with sequels and not just movies, but like video games and books or everything and everything else is that it's a lot easier than the first one because you've got the characters already set up. You've got the backstory already set up. Yeah, sure, you got to do some, some more, uh, different backstory to introduce new characters and, and different villains. But it should be relatively easier. And, and to a degree it is. But I feel like an hour before things really start picking up kind of hurt the film. Oh, I agree, too. For being two and a half hours, they legit could have cut 45 minutes out yeah. of this film and yeah. told the same damn story. Yeah. I digress. We go on to see Maxwell Lord is now rising through the, um, you would say, political ranks. You could say the, the world the world ranks, the financial ranks. He's turning his company around. Dude's rising faster in the world than Dwayne Johnson did. Exactly. He is now taking over the world easily. And then we kind of get into this little sub-story about where he goes to Cairo because he's mm-hmm. trying to talk to somebody that is in charge of the oil that is over there. Yeah. And wants to basically buy it, but give him his one wish. Mm-hmm. After a little double cross, Maxwell Lord takes his whole security force after he winds up giving him the land of Egypt. Yeah, that, that whole sequence was confusing, too, because the, the oil person, you know, head person, whatever it is, that whole, just that whole sequence was very fast and very confusing. Because, like, the, the walls just started showing up. And I was like, wait, what the hell is going on? Why are these here? And all of a sudden, it's a second nation and this. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, there's a lot of fast-moving parts with this that they didn't really explain. Mm-hmm. And we knew that why he went over to Cairo. But then again, we get into this really crazy fight sequence. It's like um, they just want to get to the fight sequence as fast as humanly possible. And, oh, let's just skim over the details. Oh, they did. Because if you think about it, when they wind up stealing the jet, this is Diana and Steve. Sure. They just randomly go to Cairo looking for him. Mm-hmm. They wind up uh, unveiling this power that Diana has to turn the plane invisible. So now, at least, I will say that was kind of an interesting moment. Well, and at least they explained that a little bit. She's like, oh, it's a power. What did she say? My father. That Zeus gave her. The, the, my, that Zeus gave her. I've been working on it, but, I won't, but I've only ever, she only ever was able to do it on, well, what did she say, a bowl? Yeah, it was, or something, it was, or something it was, small. It was a small uh, so, object. At, at least with that, it wasn't, she just pulled it out and goes, oh, hey, I can do this now. I was like, oh, okay, no, okay, she, she got this from Zeus. She's been working on it. Okay. Yes. 
So she does do this flyover. They wind up going to Cairo. And this is where stuff gets a little awkward, you'd say, because this is the first time that we saw her get hurt in action. Mm Mm-hmm. And she does have this great fight sequence against Maxwell Lord's security detail. That scene was awesome. Yeah, it absolutely was. The The fight sequences, I would say, is a very big saving grace to this. But once you get back to the story, and then it's somehow revealed now that Dallas is the person behind the Dreamstone, who is basically the DC version of Loki. Yeah. You want to just have a quick comparison. Uh, yeah, he is the god of lies, treachery, deception, and mischief, which, well, yeah, that sounds like Loki. Yeah, it's Loki to the degree. And then you find out the deal with this stone is, yeah, you're able to grant a wish, but it takes a toll. Should have brought in Tom Hiddleston for this role. I don't know why. You know, it, Dallas in the comics is not that big of a character. Well, okay. It would have been a waste of his time. I fully agree that they should have done a little more detail to it. But yeah. the, I understand why, because obviously in 2017, the main villain was Ares. Right. You don't want to have God versus God for a time, sure. for a second time, sure. and, and, and so forth. But they wind up like adding these details later. So And then you realize that, okay... The deal is Diana gave up her powers. Mm-hmm. So now she's technically mortal. Yeah, well, mortal asterisk. She could still fight and, and kick ass and all this, but just a little less so. Yeah, it's just it's not really defined of what she gave up, and you kind of put it together that when she's hurt. I, the only thing I can think is, like, it, it felt to me like she gave up her powers, but it wasn't like a just gone. It was kind of like a, they're slowly going away, slowly going away because you notice it. You notice it first, nothing really, nothing happens. Nothing happens. But as time goes on, she gets hit by the stray bullet and she's bleeding. She goes to do the gauntlet thing later in the movie and, and it just doesn't have the same oomph. So it, it seems like it's this kind of like degrading losing of her power. Yeah, which the only person who's realizing this is Steve Trevor. And he's trying to like, "Hey, you need to realize what the fuck is going on." And she's like, "I don't care." Yeah, she doesn't care and cuz obviously she's got the love of her life back. But I will say this, Chris Pine was very good reprising yeah. his role and Steve Trevor. Yeah. He's one of the highlights of the movie. Absolutely. And I know they focused a lot more on their romance and the uh, you know the fish out of water, man out of time sequence. Yeah, which they didn't dwell on it, which was good. They didn't dwell on it, which, uh, yeah, you understand that because we've already had a movie where they established this. Right. So, I mean, this is one point of doing a sequel. You don't need to spend a ton of time on this. Mm-hmm. But I thought they did drag it out a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. so much looking at the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So I was not fully engulfed with it as much as other people have been. But we get back to the story that Maxwell Lord is now going after the U.S. Uh, government and wants the president's access because he wants to get more wishes to people. He right. wants to get more, more, more. Well, and I think he's finally re- – like, he obviously – and this was one thing I don't think they ever explained was just how the fuck he knew about all this other than maybe no. maybe research or something. I felt like that could have used some explanation, even even just a brief, you know, little two-sentence mention. Um, but you got to figure he's kind of – understanding and, and digesting and, and under, getting his powers a little bit more. So he's like, oh, I, I can get kind of high with this. Let me, let me see how far I can go. And it was just one of those, this wasn't his original plan, but as time went along, he goes, oh, this can really work in my favor. Yeah, it definitely could. And I think that they did kind of mention va- vaguely that he did have some interest in this. Like they covered sure. some files, but they didn't really spend a ton of time on it because now all of a sudden this ordinary con man is knowing about this ancient artifact right. out of nowhere. Right, ancient artifact that at least... From what I remember in the film, because what is it? What's her name? Barbara. Yeah. Uh, you know, Barbara does some research for Diana and that there was only like two or th- two, three or four mentions of this throughout history. That one was with the Mayans. The other one was with the Roman ancient Romans. And I forget the other two, one or two. But like each time they used it, you know, the, the civilization fell and that was kind of it. And it was almost like, yeah, there's mentions of it and there's 
depictions of it, but not much else past that. So it's like, how the fuck is he learning about this? Right. Which, I mean, I know they said that quick line, but if I don't think it was enough to really establish like no. why he's been chasing this. No. Because obviously when he shows up at the Smithsonian, he's there with ulterior motives. But for a guy that's just been a normal uh, head of an oil company. Like a single dad. Yeah, they don't really go into full details. No. Which I think somewhat hurt the film as well. Yeah, too. yeah. But when we get back to the story, though, he's now working his way through the U.S. government because he wants to get more uh, people wishes because he's now deteriorating. The stone mm-hmm. is now taking its toll on him physically. Right, because one of the things uh, that the stone says is it, it gives as only as much as it takes, or maybe I have that backwards. It right. Takes, you know, so he's giving out all of these wishes and wishes and wishes and wishes, and it's just draining him dry. It's absolutely breaking him down. So Diana and Steve are trying to co- confront him. But at the same time, when Diana won't give up her wish, Barbara is not giving up hers. No. That she is now fully enthralled in the life she's living now, that she's no longer a victim. Because as you see, they do go back to the time where she was attacked. She finds the attacker and nearly beats him to death. Mm-hmm. So it's to say that she's now fully encompassed who she is now, and this is who she wants to be. So she is going to go out of her way to stop Diana, and they do wind up going to the White House. Yeah. And they do have this massive battle, which yeah. I have to say, once again, the action sequence here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. No, no issues with this. No. But as Maxwell Lord is now escaping it, to go to the secret hideout where the satellites are for the, across the world, which I thought this was going to be Brother Eye. I mm. didn't see this in the in, in the movie, so I know if you read comics, you know what Brother Eye is. Might be something they bring in later if they want to. Well, I think they almost have to, but I thought they, which I'll explain when we get to the ending of the film, I thought they did drop the ball on something that okay. they could have done. Brother okay. Eye was something I thought they should have just established. Like I said, it could be something like uh, the, how they retconned in the Marvel movies that the kid in the Iron Man mask in Iron Man, what was that, 2? Oh, they retconned that. Oh, yeah, that was a young Peter Parker. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they can do something like that. Like, oh, hey, yeah, that thing you saw in Wonder Woman 84 that was this. Oh, yeah, that was Brother Eye. They definitely have to kind of look into that. But as now they're making the, the valiant uh, plea to go stop Maxwell Lord, Steve Trevor finally talks Diana into giving up her wish. I'm so glad they didn't do this like they did in the comics. Yeah, I agree, too. This could have this, been... This was handled a lot better. It was handled a lot better, but I thought they drug it out, though. Yeah. The only thing is, yeah. I understand Diana lost the love of her life. Sure, I get that. But now once she's getting her strength and now she's uh, now able to fly, which was, came out of nowhere. Well, I think at first it was gliding cause it, it, or, or the, uh, quote, Toy Story falling with style. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely felt like it, at first it was just gliding because to me it looked like she was kind of going down as she was doing it. And she kept having to lasso stuff to keep going. So it was almost like Spider-Man. I don't think she was able to fully fly until the end of, uh, end of the movie. She she wasn't, but, you know, this is one thing that I got to really take away from it, too. I thought this hurt because they drug this scene out mm. where she's just, you know, skating through the clouds, and then she's lassoing the lightning. Yeah. I understand they did in the comics, sure, but for the movie, I thought they just drug this way too long. Yeah, I felt like they used the whole lassoing to jump like the whole thing a little too much yeah it was a cool effect and it was re- it was really cool to see you know with all of that but just eh, it, it just felt overused to me yeah like i agree too like i just saw that they just kept going just dragging it out and this had right. reminded me of the third act in wonder woman the first in 2017 yeah where she's giving those long speeches and just going on and on. And it's like, you don't need that much to build up the moment. 
We understand she's hurt. We understand she's now getting her powers back. But it's like this is just drawing on and on and on. But the one aspect is that I thought they really kind of dropped the ball on mm-hmm. is, okay, so she's flying towards this secret location, correct? Yep. At which point does she fly back home to go get the Golden Eagle armor? She had it with her. Uh, she had it. She had it with her because I don't think that was the. I think I don't think that was the the one they had on the island. I think that was the actual set because if you remember, there was a sequence earlier in the movie. Well, I think it's when they first go to her apartment, mm-hmm. and then she's talking to Steve, and Steve's looking around the uh, Steve's looking around her, her apartment, and he's that's when he sees the photo of her at Trevor Ranch. Uh, and they go looking around, and that's when, when they go into the side room. It's got all the TVs and the world newsfeed, and he goes, wow, this is actually really impressive. She's doing something, looking at the TV screen, computer screen, whatever it is, and there's this mummy-shaped looking thing in the corner of the in the side of the room, and he goes, oh, what's this? And she, that's when she explains what it is. So she had that there in D.C. with her. Right, but when she's flying... And by the time she gets to the island, like, they never say about her going back to go get it. Well, I mean, they also didn't say where the island was. Well, exactly. Could have been on the way. Like I said, they left off a ton of details. You'll say too much suspension of disbelief. Yeah, because the whole deal about the armor is, like, this is where the whole Olympics at Themyscira, or as I was saying, yeah. is Themyscira yeah. Ninja Warrior, because that's the way it kind of felt like yeah. with the obstacle course. Yeah. They, they're trying to build up about how it's worthy of the armor. Sure, worthy sure. Of golden. And then they kind of touch upon it very quickly about the whole story of Astera, who was using the armor to defend the Amazons from the attack of man. Yeah, and, and I and I think that's partially why she started working with uh, the, the Smithsonian, was that she, because she said she went looking for this, and she looked all over the world for it. Well, she went looking for Asteria. Right. But she couldn't find her, but she found the armor. Right, she found the armor. So what the hell was on the island? Was that just a replica? Though that no, that's the whole thing. Like they did this whole sequence where she flew back to go get the armor and then flew to the island. They never touched upon it, which I was like, okay, this is. Well, I'm I'm just even saying like because I'm I'm thinking there was two separate armors. Because, no, there isn't. Yeah. Well, no, because she had the armor with her in her apartment. Right, she did. So did she bring it with her from the island? Like she went back to their apartment to go get it and then flew to the island, which they decided to cut off that right, whole sequence. Right, right. So like, because magically when she shows up at the island. Barbara is already there with Maxwell Lord because once they made the Valiant escape from the White House, she's now basically being his muscle. Right, which Barbara at this point has made her second wish. Well, yeah, because all of a sudden Maxwell Lord is like, you know, you've been such a loyal friend to me. You can take another wish. I feel like that was a plot hole because the way I interpreted it was they got a wish. Not, you know, this ain't Genie from Aladdin. Yeah. You know, so she already made her wish to go. Oh, I want to be more like Diana. So what is it all of a sudden because it's some in somebody else that she can get another wish? Like, okay. Yeah, it was lazy writing in yeah. my opinion. Like, yeah. that's, that's one thing I really, like I say, I was very disappointed with this film because there are plot holes throughout this. Yeah. This was another one because all of a sudden she says how she wants to be a apex predator. Mm-hmm. Now. A little cheesy. It's cheesy. Does that mean she's going to start doing RKO's out of nowhere? I, well, immediately I said, I said, if Randy Orton is not in this, I am going to throw something. But I also go back to say, okay, this reminds me of Supergirl when the character decided to come out and say, I'm Cyborg Superman Yeah, out of nowhere and how awkward that comment was. Yeah, This was the same kind of vibe because unless yeah. you were really focusing on on everything at the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't, because let's face it, unless you read the comics, you probably weren't focusing on 
the cheetah creatures she had in her office space. It's like Christ, she had it on her feet. Exactly. You had to really be paying attention to understand, okay, why is that line? But if you're not familiar, you're going, okay, why all of a sudden is an apex predator, and then she winds up mutating into the cheetah. Right. Which is not how it goes in the comics by any which way. There, right. There's been multiple versions, so I'm not going to get into that just right now. Well, but. And, I can, and I can say from my viewing experience, I watched it uh, part because I didn't finish it the first night, uh, partially with my brother and his girlfriend and then my girlfriend, and then uh, the second part and first part with my dad. Uh, my when this when we were watching it, finishing it the next day, uh, neither my dad nor my girlfriend knew Cheetah or anything. So once they heard the line, they go, what "The hell's that mean?" Yeah, I was like, oh, you'll see. Exactly. For mainstream fans and for people that just knew Wonder Woman 2017, this was like a what line? Yeah. And then even for me, who I've read comics for since I could walk, I'm going, okay, you're going to force this line in that's going to come off really super cheesy. I understand we're supposed to keep the 80s vibe here, but this is a little much too, too much cheese. Needed more synth. Yeah, you needed something. And you know what? It didn't happen because... So there wasn't enough synth. Yeah, there wasn't. There wasn't. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm talking like Stranger Things level of synth. Yeah, we needed a lot more of that. Like I say, for the vision of the 1984 that they told, was not super impressed with. And even when we get to the fight scenes, because now all of a sudden Diana comes bursting on the island wearing the Golden Eagle armor. Mm -hmm. And they do have this fight, if you can call it that. But it was basically a squash match. Oh, so yeah, if she didn't have the armor, she'd have gotten her ass whooped. Well, if you think about it, she gets the armor and she runs, like, rips that thing apart. Oh, so yeah, the armor that's supposed to be, like, the greatest armor in, in Themyscira and Amazonian history stood up to the, the entire army of, you know, whatever the hell it was, Spartans or whatever, you know. Yeah, some the ancient, army of man. Army of man. It stood up to the entire army of man, and then it's just like Cheetah's coming in, and yeah, I'm just going to start ripping the wings off. Yeah, Cheetah takes it apart. So, okay, you're going, okay, Cheetah's a real threat. Yeah. She can, you know, obviously rip through Diana like nothing. Then Diana takes her underwater. Let's say they bring her to Cat's one biggest weakness. Yeah. So they go underwater, and they're having a fight. Yeah. And there's an electrical wire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, I am not the brightest bulb in the box, I will admit this. But if you have water Mm -hmm. plus electricity, Mm -hmm. Diana is sitting there arguing with her Mm -hmm. and telling her, you know, stop. You need to renounce your wish. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go here. Mm -hmm. And obviously Cheetah is saying, no, I'm not giving up. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do whatever I got to. Uh She winds up electrocuting Cheetah. Yep. Diana is wearing full armor. Yep. That's metal. Yep. She's also like a demigod. So, yeah. Yeah. So basically she survives this. Yep. I was like, oh, oh, you mean uh, Cheetah, Barbara? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if she were a normal, you know, you or I human being, oh yeah, she she's done. But there ain't nothing. I, I, you know, I would argue that while Diana's losing her power, Cheetah's gaining it a little bit. So she ain't a full demigod, but she ain't exactly normal. Right. Like I just said, I thought for how they ended it was just too short. Like yeah. this, this had Iron Man two vibes. This had. Uh, I would say, no, I was going to say Phantom Menace, but Phantom Menace was actually drawn out longer. Cut him some slack. It's the first comic book movie in Lord knows how long that they didn't kill the villain. Right. But I thought how they ended the fight, I was like, oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Like this, all this buildup for one, the Golden Eagle armor and two Cheetah 
just went up in smoke. Yeah. And I thought this was such a bad miscue. I'll say for all the for all the build up with the armor and all the promotional images and the trailers and the TV spots and it was kind of like okay it's here and it's, it's gone. Yeah, like it was like this is done. Yeah. And like it was just over so quick. There was like how can you even say this is your main villain? Well, that, well and I, that's what I felt bad for telling my my dad and my girlfriend. Because my dad was like, "Oh, what's you know? He's he's heard of Batman. He's seen the Batman movies and Superman movies, and he's he's read some comics, you know, back in his day, but nothing ever to this level." And he goes, well, "What's what's the cheetah's big deal? I mean, what's he to her?" I go, "Well, it's her it's her arch nemesis. I go, it's her biggest, you know, it's her Lex Luthor. It's her it's her Joker, you know, it's it's her Red Skull, you know." So he's like, "Oh, okay." It it just you know for being her main big bad, it just felt like such a cop out. Yeah, like I say, for how they ended that underwater with electricity, it's like both of them should got electrocuted, and yeah, both survived. Okay, comics, I get it, we'll but say, still, yeah, but still a bad way to end that fight, especially with your your main rival. So then she finally gets into where Maxwell Lord is like basically on his last legs, and he's now encompassed so much power from wishes that he's given to the entire world. He's which, going slightly delirious. He's going delirious, and it was kind of really weird about how you could do that power through the television. Yeah. Which, I mean, like I say, I'm willing to suspend so they never, never specified how they had to do it. Right. They never specified. So it was like, okay, I can, I, can, I can take this. Because all of a sudden throughout the world, everybody's wishing for something crazy. Mm-hmm. Like somebody wishes somebody was dead. Somebody <laughs> oh wishes God. for nuclear weapons. Somebody... Well, well, it was over in England or Scotland or Ireland or somewhere over in that portion. Where it's like, oh, I wish all Irishmen like you would go back to where they came from. And rather than him turning around and just walking out, he goes, I wish you would drop dead. And my dad and girlfriend and I all went, oh, shit. Yeah, like, it was just absolutely out of control, like, where they were going with it. But I understand because you're building a hysteria. Because the one thing that they go after they dig through what the Dreamstone is about, they know it ends all civilization that is Uh in possession of it. So they know the stakes are high. So Diana is doing what she can do. And obviously she's confronting Maxwell at the secret location, and she's trying to use a lasso of truth on him. Uh Now, this is, I would say, almost like a letdown for me again. Okay. Because she's doing these long speeches mm-hmm. while she's trying to use the lasso because she can't get through it because Maxwell Lord is generating so much power. Yeah. He's in like a virtual force field, yep. which, yep. okay, I'm willing to deal with. And her his son is still back at the uh, uh, company. Yeah. He's at the, at the headquarters because all this time Maxwell Lord is, keeps ignoring him and pushing him to the side. Well, and Christ, there's been a riot going out on outside the, the offices for like half the movie at this point. Yeah, so like during this whole thing, Washington D.C. is completely engulfed in rage. I'll say because at this point we should mention that one of the wishes that uh, Maxwell Lord got the president to make was uh, more nukes, more you know, all more nukes than than, than them, meaning the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. You know, so that way they'll, they'll back down to us. They'll do this. They'll do that. Well, the Soviets saw that. The Soviets at the same time because it it takes only as much as it gives. So it gave the Soviets that many. And yeah. so it, it basically started, I think they even said it, oh, you know, the, the peaceful talks between the two nations are over and then war has been declared. So, you know, uh, Washington, D.C. goes to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, so it's just kind of like this real messy ending that, okay, the stakes are exploding and Diana is still giving these long speeches where she's like trying to talk sense in the Maxwell Lord. Sure. Which finally the lasso of truth gets around him mm-hmm. and he starts having a, this is your life moment where he's like reliving his. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I'm like, I'm sitting there watching this cause they're, they're showing all the bad stuff that's happened to him over the years, you know, abusive parents wetting the bed. And I'm like, are you really trying to make me feel bad for this guy? Yeah. Like they were trying to give all of a sudden, make him a sympathetic character when yeah. it's like the entire movie 
He's not been. Yeah, I, I, I got to say, I'm not the biggest fan of when properties try to do that, that you spend, like I'm watching a show right now on, on Netflix, uh, Turn Washington Spies, set in the American Revolution. The main villain of that is got to be one of the most, and I don't mean this in a bad way, annoying villains ever that like it's just one of those villains that you want to see dead in the worst way possible but you realize they can't because if they do there goes your big villain i'm really hoping they don't pull this because it's like okay don't try and show flashbacks of why he, he's such a piece of shit don't try and make me feel bad for this guy because there's no way you can do it. i i don't always like when movies or shows do that no they sh- they should because they're, because they're I, I get in some instances yeah you might be able to talk me into it but you don't have to try and make me feel bad for every villain about why he's doing things yeah, like it, it just was such a cop out to me that like all of a sudden you're you're trying to make him humanized. Yeah. When the entire movie he's just been nothing but greed, evil and well I I mean you can say evil I guess you can stretch it but his intentions are not for good. No, they're not. So he's trying to manipulate everybody so he winds up being the one on top and he's doing it by any means necessary. That he's literally having people get killed off, he's hurting people, he's doing whatever to get his own gains. Mhm. So how are you trying to make a, a sympathetic villain at this point? Yeah. And you can't because how they end this is somehow the lasso of truth gets wrapped around his leg. Yeah. And he now suddenly comes to he wants to be better. He wants to be a, 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 a great father. Well, I think it's kind of he realizes what's going on and kind of it. And it's one of those he had horse blinders on the entire movie. And it's just like, oh, I got to get to my ends, get to my ends, get to my ends. And then he realized what was going to happen, and the nukes were coming, and his son was all on his own, and he's like, holy shit, I screwed up. Yeah, like, okay, so this moment now, suddenly he finally cares about his son. Yeah. Which I get, it's a movie, but it was like, I did not like how they ended with no. this. Because now suddenly he relinquishes his wish, so everything he's done the entire movie is retcon. Mm-hmm. We think, because... You see the, all, when all the nukes were getting fired and everything. They, they explode. They're suddenly off the radar. They're gone. You're seeing the the destruction that was done by people, that, depending on their wishes, is getting retconned. Right. You see that Barbara Minerva is now on a on a cliff somewhere. I think it's still on the island. It's still on the island, but she's yeah, she's still yeah, there. She's, she's human, though. We think because yeah. she never gave up her wish. So it, there's like all this gray area that we don't know how this ends. See, I think she's human just because it goes back to the source. If you cut off the water from the source, it'll stop flowing. Mm-hmm. The only reason she had her powers is because what he did at the start. So I, I, I don't think we've seen the obviously seen the last of her being Cheetah. Yeah. But for right now, she's human because, well, it got undone outside of her wishes. Yeah. So we see the Maxwell Lord now gets reunited with his son. Yeah. And is promising to do better. But it's like, um, you are not going to get away from this one. No. So unless, I'm astounded he wasn't in prison. Well, the thing now that I wonder is, like, did that retcon everything he did? So now nobody remembers what he did at the first place. They did not say that. So, yeah, hard to say. Yeah. So, like, there's this whole vague ending to this movie that we just don't know. And then we see Diana go back to D.C. and she runs into the guy that was possessed by Steve Trevor. Yeah. And kind of have, like, this real friendly, like, maybe that's going to be my love interest for the next movie. I don't know. Like, it just ended on such a weird note. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we get to the bonus scene. Greatest bonus scene in history. You want to break it down? So uh, after we get to the mid-credit scene, and this is where I'm like, oh, I wonder if they're going to show anything. Uh, it's over in England or someplace, and a woman's walking down the street, and a, and a telephone pole or light pole goes to fall down, 
and it go and it almost hits a baby carriage and a woman stops it and drops it and she goes oh my gosh I, I need to thank you yada 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 pulls the the uh, hood back and it's and it's Asteria who's been secretly living among the humans uh, much like Diana but who is playing Asteria you might ask one Linda Carter yeah I marked all oh, that I did too that was great I marked out for that that was a great bonus scene so Pad let me ask you this yes we broke down the entire movie what was the good what was the bad and what was the what uh. Good was the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, fight scenes were definitely good. Bad was just the, the amount of times I had to suspend disbelief. I can suspend disbelief much like anybody, but if I have to suspend disbelief every other scene, that's where then it it starts to pull me out a little bit. And and just kind of the WTF moments were just some of the stuff that could have been explained with like a thirty, not even a thirty second added dialogue or something. Just just the the stuff that got left unexplained, or I have to, I had to sit there and figure out myself. Which don't get me wrong, I don't mind having to draw conclusions myself and kind of connect dots myself. But if I have to do it for what felt like a quarter of the movie, I'm not enjoying it all that much. I have to agree. Like I thought the fight scenes were great. Gil Godot and the stunt team did a great job with this. Mm-hmm. I have no issues with that. I don't even have, as I joked about, the Themyscira Ninja Warrior competition to open the film with. Yeah. Well, that was fine. I know that some people online have been very critical about that you had that scene and then you had the scene at the mall, the fight scene. Mm-hmm. Listen, that's not the issue because you want to establish what Wonder Woman's been up to and she's still a force to be reckoned with. Obviously, we're talking about young Diana, who's, I mean, I can't even remember how old she is during the Themyscira right. time, but she's young. Right. Like, I want to say, like, not even 13, I want to say. Yeah, not even. No, but you see now an, an older Diana is still doing what she does. I had no issues with the fights. None. My issues with this film, or I guess I should say, let me get back with my good stuff. Had no issues with the fight scenes, thought they were great. Pedro Pascal oh my God. crushed it. Needs a goddamn award. As Maxwell Lord. He was great. Yeah. No issues with him. Thought he lived up to the 80s character he was trying to portray. Yeah. Because you can yeah. say he borrowed from a lot of different sources. Mm-hmm. A lot. There's been a lot of comparisons to a lot of different people throughout uh, the 1980s history. I'm just going to leave it to your interpretation, but I thought he was excellent with it because he just oozed with charisma. He definitely captured that greed is good vibe. Yeah. And he definitely ran with it. I thought Chris Pine as Steve Trevor again was great in the romance story between him and Diana. Sure, it was good. I thought that the writing might have drug it out a little bit, but yeah. I had no issue with him and what yeah. he did in the movie. Yeah. And I will say this. I didn't have an issue with Kristen Wiig. I thought no, she, was, she was great. I thought she was okay in the film. Like I thought for what she had to work with, she was great. My issues with this film, though, I thought it was very sloppy writing at times, mm-hmm. and I'm very shocked because of the writing team that was involved with this, yeah, that you had this many like loose plot holes throughout this film. Mm-hmm. You drug out these scenes where Diana is flying, and this happened multiple times where she's in the clouds, mm-hmm. and you want to try giving this so much more of an epic moment than it needs to be. Like the story, like the story was already dictating the pace of the film. So the fact that you're drawing out this, like, sequences where she's in the clouds, like, reevaluating yeah. everything. And, like, I'm sorry. Like, you could have cut that out. There was no need for it. I thought they should have done a lot more details about explaining about the Dreamstone, but they didn't. Yeah. And I thought that that could have hurt if you're not familiar with the comic and you're not familiar with how it comes across. That could definitely hurt. So I thought that that was a definite problem. I thought the end fight scene between Cheetah and, and Wonder Woman was awful. Yeah. Because it was a squash. Yeah. Like, to, to put it in wrestling terms. Like, I was talking with Rich from 3FN about this. It was a squash match. That this was, you built up 
Cheetah to be the rival to Diana. Mm-hmm. And then Diana has this super armor that you've mentioned two times in the film, how it defended the army of man, but yet Cheetah runs through it. Yeah, and then, and then you James Bond killer. Uh, I yeah. Forget, I forget which movie it is, but he tosses the bad guy into the bathtub and then tosses the fan into the bathtub and just look, goes shocking. Yeah, like it was just no point to it. Even the Cairo scene you could have taken out. The, Ky- the Cairo scene, I, you, I feel you could have simplified just because, like I said, it felt like they wanted to get to the action sequence so quick that they went from, oh, he's there, oh, he does the wish with the guy, oh, he gets the oil, oh, does this, does that, and, and we're fighting. Yeah, like it just seems so rushed, like they were trying to cram so much into this movie yeah. that they took away from it. And even in the ending with Maxwell Lord, like the ending I would have done would have been the one from the comics, and I alluded to this last week. I didn't want to get into any spoilers, but what I thought they should have done is what they did for the, cri- the Countdown to Crisis, or Infinite Crisis, mm-hmm. where... Uh, Maxwell Lord possesses Superman, I believe. Yeah. And Wonder Woman has to, like, he's she's puts the lasso of truth around his neck and says, you have to release him. And he's like, I'm not going to release him. You're going to have to kill me. And she winds up snapping his neck mm-hmm. in front of a whole worldwide audience because this is broadcasted on Brother Eye. Right. Okay. Now, I understand they probably didn't want to go that route because of the feedback from Man of Steel. And right. Well, and I think at the point this was filmed that, that uh, they weren't back in good terms with Henry Cavill as Superman. Right. But I think that the backlash from Superman snapping Zod's neck from, oh, Man, yeah. from Man of Steel, yeah. I think they didn't want to go that yeah. route, which, okay, you didn't have to follow it per verbatim. No. But the fact that you tried making Maxwell Lord into a sympathetic character after the entire time, his motivation has not been sympathy. Well, I think also other reason that wouldn't work as well. Superman's not around at that point. Well, that's another thing too, for where this time is. Okay, so 1984. Where is where is like your other heroes lurking around? I take this. I take this as kind of like the Marvel method of like, unless otherwise specified, it takes place in present times. So. You know, Superman doesn't show up until whatever year that movie came out. Right. You know, the, I, I kind of take it with the Marvel method of like, as, as they've said, unless otherwise specified, it takes place in the year it comes out. So at that point, you know, age-wise, Bruce is however old Bruce is. You know, Clark, it may, might be tr- uh, a kid on uh, in Smallville at this point. You know, I, I I think it's like that. Yeah, I mean, okay, sure, you can have that argument, but I guess I kind of looked at it as like, okay. Yet again, Wonder Woman disappears from the radar after this. Right. Like, you could have written this segment out that she did something to Maxwell Lord and then had to disappear. Sure. And almost kind of like the ending of The Dark Knight where uh, Batman is framed for yeah, yeah, Harvey yeah. Dent's death. Yeah. And he has to escape from the law. Yeah. Like, you could have done something like that. Yeah. And I think you would have told a stronger story. Yeah. Than you did because this, I understand you're trying to copy the 80s and I get that, but this was sloppy writing in my opinion. Yeah. And I thought your pacing for the film, too, off was all over the place. Yeah. And for a movie that really needed to deliver home about this, I thought they dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. I really did. Like, do I say it's a it's a bad movie? No. I wouldn't say necessarily bad. It's okay. It's okay. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It, it's, it's an okay movie. It's one that, on occasion, if I'm fe- ever feeling, you know... Uh, an inkling to watch it or, you know, kind of an urge to watch it, I might, but I'm not exactly going to go out of my way and go, oh, I need, you know, I need to rewatch this again. Yeah, like, I just think that this movie could have been better. It should have been. Yeah. 
I understand that it's been greenlit for Wonder Woman 3. Yeah, so uh, Warner Brothers announced that just, what was it, uh, yesterday, or uh, I believe. Yes. Where Warner Brothers chairman Tony Toby Emmerich announced the news following the, quote, strong opening weekend performance of Wonder Woman 1984 uh, that saw the film earn $16.7 million from 2,100 North American theaters alongside also being available on HBO Max. Uh, globally, Wonder Woman 1984 brought in $36.1 million from 42 markets over the weekend, bringing the uh, worldwide tally to $85 million. Uh, furthermore, it was the top post-pandemic domestic opening weekend for any feature film this year. Uh, also, for HBO Max, uh, according to the folks over at HBO Max, nearly half of all subscribers to the service watched Wonder Woman 1984 on its launch day alongside millions of wholesale subscribers who have access to HBO Max via a cable, wireless, or other partner services. So... I don't know what the exact numbers are, but half of HBO Max subscribers watch this thing on the day of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was crashing for me, so like I started up a couple times. But like I say, for what it was supposed to deliver, I thought it did an okay job. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't think that it did as well as it should have been. Yeah. That I think that they should have maybe tightened up the story a bit. I understand you want to try getting as much stuff as you can into a movie. I get that. Oh, yeah. And especially yeah. for how well Wonder Woman 2017 did. I thought that, okay, the third act in that movie definitely drug out. I had the same vibe during this one because mm-hmm. it just seems that during those last fight scenes, Diana is trying to give these like big, inspiring speeches. Yeah, and well, I, almost like a Return of the King with Theoden. Yeah, like, and it's just you don't need to do that so no. much. I think that that took away from it because it just seemed like you're trying to cram so much into this movie. And I granted, I know it's two and a half hours. You could have taken 45 minutes out of this thing and I mean, told the same story. Diana can give inspiring speeches that don't have to be long in, in multiple sentences. I mean, just look back at the first movie where she wants to go help the people across the no man's land and, and save the town. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, Steve Trevor explains to her what's going on and this and that. And, and he's like, we can't do that. You know, blah, 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 blah. She then turns around and takes off the, the jacket and puts on her thing. And she goes, and I forget the exact line she says, but, it, you know, it's like one sentence, and then she gets up, and I just remember sitting in the theater going, holy shit, my, the hair stood up on my arm. Yeah, you could have quick moments like that that still work. You don't need to give the these long, drawn-out monologues. Because honestly, at this point, I think that they didn't have they didn't give Wonder Woman that much great material to even work with. Like, no. I, like I think that Gil Gadot definitely did a great job oh, with she, her role. Yeah, 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 she did the best with what she had. Yeah, but I think that they spent they spent way too much time trying to emphasize the romance angle and then the man out of time with Steve Trevor. They really kind of took away from where the story was going to go. See, they did, but they, I feel like at the same token, though, they didn't dwell on that no, all they, too much. They didn't dwell, but I think... There was like maybe one or two scenes where it was like, wait, what is this? And then they moved on. Yeah, but I thought they spent a lot of the bulk of the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. trying to reestablish that. Yeah. And I thought, like, okay, we could have we could have tightened this up a little better. But, I mean, that's sort of my overall pickaways from it, that I'm like, the writing I thought could have been a lot better. Mm-hmm. I thought they drug it out. And then how you end it is, okay... Well, what happens between now, 1984, and Batman vs. Superman, where Wonder Woman makes her grand reintroduction to the DCEU? Because in Justice League, she's walking around with no problem. Right. So why all of a sudden is she going to go from, I'm smashing security cameras, I don't want to be caught on film, to now you're completely cool with just being in front of the public? It's just little stuff like that that just I thought took away so much that it's still... A watchable movie, mm-hmm. but I thought for where it should have been, it definitely was lacking. 
I also got to say, uh, I prefer the original theme song to this one. Yeah. No disrespect to Hans Zimmer, you know, fantastic composer, but I, I prefer the, you know, from Wonder Woman 1 and then Batman v Superman, you know, the the guitar rift theme to what they did in this movie. It was, it was okay, but I prefer the other one. Yeah, like I think, in closing, Wonder Woman 1984 is a watchable movie, sure. Yeah. But I think you have to go in with lower expectations, and you have to make your own judgments for it. Because I know right. a, lot, a lot of people have really loved this. And really, oh, yeah. And really loved how they focused on the inspiration and the hope that Diana was giving. But me personally, yeah, I just did not feel that with the writing. I really didn't. And I thought that they completely rushed through building up Barbara Minerva as her main rival, as Cheetah, who, mm-hmm. if you know anything about Wonder Woman in the comics... That is her number one villain. Oh, yeah. That is the one. I mean, Multiple iterations, too. Yeah, multiple iterations, but it still comes back to Cheetah has always been her most historic rival. That is her Joker. That is, yeah. you know, when you break down everything that makes Wonder Woman Wonder Woman, Cheetah is the one that balances it out. And I thought they did a very lackluster job of establishing that. I mm-hmm. think, and I take nothing away from Kristen Wiig. I don't want this no. to come in on her because I thought for what she had to work with, she definitely did a better job than I thought. Say, going see, in, especially considering seeing as the only stuff I've ever seen her in is comedies. Exactly. The fact that like she's, a, you know, for me at least been a comedy actor and she does comedies and slapstick and stuff like that. She did a very great job. Yeah, I thought she did a great job. And I thought Pedro Pascal definitely was strong as a villain. And especially, God, he crushed it. And especially, I will say this, for balancing two villains out, I thought they did a good job with yeah. it. Yeah. Because usually that is a tough thing to pull. Yes. But I thought for overall, they didn't do a good job about pacing and dialogue even to, and how the story went. Mm-hmm. I thought they did too much jumping around. It was just so much they wanted to add here. Yeah. That this would have been fine for a director's cut. But it shouldn't have been the main movie. No, and and like I said, you know, taking an hour into the plus into the film to really get the story going really hurt it. Yeah, I agree, too. I was already, like, ready to tune out, to be honest with you. I'm like, where are we going here? And that is not something I should feel with this. No, no. Because they did such a great job with the first one. This one was a step back, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. And I I have no issue talking about this. If you love this movie, great. I'm not saying you shouldn't because, like I say, I know a lot of – People really enjoy this for what it was. This is summer blockbuster action. Yeah. This is what it was. It should have been when it gets to the big screen. And don't doubt when movie theaters are reopened around the world that this doesn't get a re-release. Oh, I'm sure it will. It's going to because it's only going to be on HBO Max for 30 days and then yep. it's gone. Yep. But during that time, you can watch it and you can pick it apart. I just think that for where they should have gone with this, it should have been tighter in script and in pacing. That's my two biggest things that really drove me nuts watching this film. I'm just glad we got through a comic movie and they didn't kill the villain off. Oh, I am too. That's a rarity. But now it's like, where do you go from here? That's going to be the question we're going to have to see for Wonder Woman 3. That is true, and I know they've said it. Well, it, it of course, these quotes were from before they confirmed it, but they said, if we do a third one, it'd be set in modern times. Yeah, which I think is a right move to do, and I think you're going to have to have yeah. Wonder Woman versus Cheetah. And I think you're going to follow the comics about how Cheetah gets her powers. Right. Because it's definitely in from a Dreamstone. It's a very good story if they really want to go that route. And then however the story is going to play after that is anybody's guess. But definitely some stuff to work on going into Wonder Woman 3. But we're talking Wonder Woman 84 here on the ODPH. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPH. The movie has dropped. You have seen it. What is your reaction? You've heard our takes, but we want to hear yours. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. In a world of utter randomness, one podcast stood up from the bunch, and it was 
the amazing world of talking shiz. <coughs> Sorry, I had to clear my throat there. Um, yeah, it's just mainly randomness. And focus is definitely not being not focused there. on at all. No. Uh, our podcast is definitely um, no theme at all. It's literally random and talk about literally everything and throwing in random jokes at any given time. Yeah. We're on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Hey. So go ahead, tune in. New episodes weekly. And we're international. International. Very, yes. very well. So tune in. Follow yeah. us on Twitter. See you there. Hey, this is Vince, the Cowman C. Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up and coming newest podcast. back for the second segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast and is the year end parlay awards. Uh-huh. Now we haven't done the parlays in a while, but we figured with 2020 finally kicking dust and going away forever. Assuming there's no December 32nd. Yes. Good Lord. <laughs> Don't jinx anything, man. This year has been so wild. We thought we'd send it out with a little bit of style, so to speak. And we give out our awards for what we thought was the best movie, TV, comics and more that we have talked about on the odph podcast for the past 12 months so that being said these are our nominations for movie of the year based on what we have discussed on the show and our nominations are birds of prey bloodshot and wonder woman 1984 so pad is there a pick out here that stands out to you um i'd have to say out of the three uh birds of prey uh, it was the last one I actually saw in theaters. I, I didn't get the chance to see Bloodshot uh, just because I wasn't really interested in seeing it. Um, and then with Wonder Woman 84, between so between Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman 84, I, I enjoy both of them. But I think I enjoyed Birds of Prey just a little bit more. I have to agree. Out of the movies that we just discussed, Birds of Prey... Love it or hate it. It was fun. It was fun. It was a very good comic adaptation, so to speak. They borrowed a lot from the books, and this is probably the closest you have seen to a comic book Harley Quinn movie. It was also filled with like a lot of adult humor that I really enjoy. Yeah, which is something that you should definitely be excited about. I know yeah. that this came off with a lot of... Mixed ex- expectations? Yeah, me- mixed expectations is probably the best way to describe it. For, for me, I was excited to see what we're going to get. I know the name when it was first announced was absolutely a train wreck. The Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous in- Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Which is a mouthful, and I understand they want to try being something different. Sure. But, but once you get down to Margot Robbie returning to her role as Harley Quinn, it definitely captured a little imagination that this had sort of a Deadpool vibe to it because oh, it was yeah. definitely not for kids no and definitely introduced a birds of prey team that we haven't seen before with rosie perez playing renee montoya mary elizabeth winestead playing the huntress and journey smollett playing black canary mm-hmm. with their foil being one ewan mcgregor oh my god playing the black mask great casting it's a goddamn shame they killed him off though absolutely now this movie definitely was a fun watch yeah I, and we said we knew there was gonna be a lot of backlash with this yeah and, but this was one that when this came out was a big surprise to all of us. Yeah. And I and 
I figured that this would have been a good direction for where the DCEU was heading. Yeah. They're focusing on the characters more so than the actual shared universe yeah. a la Marvel. Yeah. Which I had no problem with. I thought this was fun. I thought this was, like I say, probably one of the most close... Closest to an actual live-action Harley Quinn movies we'll ever really see. Yeah, no, yeah, it definitely made sense. I mean, and, and I hope that's what they go with going forward. That you know they don't have to follow the Marvel method of being kid-friendly and cookie-cutter and, and happy-go-lucky. You can do it on a darker side. You can do an edgier side to this. You can, you can sure you can have your movies that are PG thirteen. You know that that's fine. But you can you can kind of dwell or push that border where it's like okay. This is a borderline R movie, but it's still PG-13. Like, go a little edgier. Go a little darker. People will still see it. Yeah, because like I say, when I'm saying this is a live-action Harley Quinn movie, if you've ever read the comics, yeah, it's a lot different. Yeah, it's a lot different than if you've only ever seen her in the animated show. Exactly, because if you only know her from Batman the Animated Series, oh, the comics are a lot different. Yeah. And like I say, this is the perfect interpretation of her yeah. in the in live-action. So, yeah. like I say... This is the closest we'll see to the comics, which I love seeing. Ian McGregor crushed it. Yeah, this had so much wind to it. And I'm not saying that as a Star Wars fan. No, definitely not. I have to agree with you. This is definitely not something we would say, you know, just with a little bias. But this movie definitely delivered on all fronts. And I think that it's definitely one that is very polarizing with fans. But you have to really take into context with just how authentic Harley Quinn was. And where the direction of the DCEU was going. Yeah. Bloodshot is up there just because I saw it. And it was obviously based off the Valiant comic right. hero. And right. the fact we're going to get a sequel is still kind of mind-blowing. But you know what? I'm not mad about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting to see whatever direction they're going to go with it. And then obviously we were just discussing Wonder Woman 84 last segment. So I don't want to go deep diving into that. But Birds of Prey is our pick for that. Yep. And now, Pat, let me ask you this. What was the moment, movie moment of the year for you? Um, I would have to, and this might surprise you, but I might have to say Justice League Snyder Cut getting announced. That for a lot of years, I thought that would never happen. That there was just because as, as messy as that was and all the behind-the-scenes stuff that was rumored and supposedly happened, I thought there was no way that was ever going to happen. That they had moved on from it, that it's in the rearview mirror. Let's not dwell on it. Let's move past it. So when that finally got announced, I was I got to admit, I was very surprised. And I, I did not think that would ever happen. I, I figured if it ever happened, it might be like 20, 25 years down the road when, when you know, the, the pot has simmered down. It's not exactly overfilling and boiling over, you know, that things are kind of tempered down. And they're like, oh, hey, remember this? Here you go. Yeah, I have to agree. That's, that's up there with me. Um, but for my pick for movie moment of the year... Has to be Warner Brothers announcing the whole 2021 yeah. slate yeah. on HBO Max. First yeah. Because obviously we are dealing with very unprecedented unprecedented times. Yeah. That we have to adapt to a lot of change. Uh huh. Hearing their entire slate is coming to HBO Max is game changing. I figured somebody would do something at some point. Maybe not their entire slate. Yeah, but a but a couple of movies. I just wasn't sure who it was gonna be. It was just a. I figured somebody would do something, you know, maybe like a Sony go to uh, a Netflix type of deal where it's like X Y, you know, two big tentpole movies and then maybe two or three smaller ones that'll do well might go go there. But I if, if I at no point ever thought, oh yeah, no, a, a movie studio like a Disney, like a Fox, like a Warner Brothers is gonna put their entire slate on their streaming service for free next you know next year that that yeah no never considered that no this is absolutely mind-blowing in the fact that we don't know where the future is going to hold for 2021 but yeah. the fact the entire slate is coming out win lose or draw i mean they can obviously retcon it 
if things get better, and I'm I'm hoping they do. Uh, I I don't think they can. That you know, Pandora's box is open on that one. Yeah. At least at least with next year, I think that's one that <laughs> that door is open. There's no way they can shut that door for next year because I feel like they might be opening themselves up to some class action lawsuits if they do. Uh, but if you know when things get better, I I don't think they'll do it after 2021. No, I think not. I think the movie theaters are back open, and hopefully that's sooner than later. Listen, it's a good thing. If theaters are open here, by the time Godzilla vs. King Kong comes out, I can fully go watch it in theaters, go home and watch it again, and I'm all goddamn for that. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, too. I, I won't be mad about that, but we just got to kind of wait and see what happens yeah. in the world. But yeah. for right now, it, it, it was such a game-changing moment to do, especially coming off the heels of Mulan coming to Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And that and that was a very mixed reaction of how the, that was. Yeah, yeah. You know, more negative than positive, in my opinion. So Yeah, I, I know. I I haven't seen. I've seen mo- almost all of the Disney live action remakes. The only one I don't, and, and this is just trying to remember them off the top of my head. The only one I don't think I've seen, and that's just because I never got around to it, uh, was the Beauty and the Beast remake. Uh, don't get me wrong; I like all of the people in that movie, but I just haven't gotten around to seeing it. Right. Uh, this was one that I was just like, I I have such I had such fond memories of the animated version that came out in 1999, I believe it was. You know, my grandmother took my brother and sister and I to go see it in theaters here locally when we were kids. And and I that was one that was on in regular rotation when we were growing up. You know, once it hit VHS, you know, so that was one that I was just like, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> it sounds like I dodged a bullet. Yeah, I would say so too. Yeah. So let us switch gears to mm-hmm. television. Sure. Now we have covered a lot of TV on here, and we've been very lucky to do so. Yeah. yeah. So some of the shows that are up for contention: Agents of Shield, Swan Song. Yep. The Boys from Amazon Prime. Ah, nobody cares about that. Oh, you bite your tongue. The Umbrella Academy season yeah. two, yeah. Doom Patrol, yep, and the one that I think has been the unanimous pick from us for TV show of the year, The Mandalorian. Absolutely, season two. absolutely. Although for me, it's like a one, one A, one B type of thing because I definitely got to put Umbrella Academy up there with it. But uh, Mandalorian is absolutely number one, just leaps and bounds far and away. Umbrella Academy is kind of like a one A, just because it's it's so good. And then I gotta say one B it would have to be and even though I know I came out last year, but I've rewatched it since Witcher. Yeah. Just so much great T V this year. You know, Agents of Shield Swan Song, fighting getting its Swan Song was awesome. But no, Mandalorian, so damn good. See, for me, it's Mandalorian. Sure. But one B is the boys. That's fair. And I That's freaking fair. love that show. I it just because when you can take an indie comic and bring it to life mm-hmm. and you don't have a studio or network saying you can't do this. You can follow it more or less to the letter. Mm-hmm. You really capture the voice of the artist and the writer and what they portrayed on the pages. The Boys does that in its sleep. Carl Urban is so amazing in his role. And Anthony Starr, too, as Homelander. Mm-hmm. Man, you cannot get any better than those two on this, by far and away. But... It has to go to The Mandalorian, though. And I know it's been short season. I know yeah. that we're talking, obviously, recent. But for what they did, it it just lives up to the expectations of what you want. Pedro Pascal definitely has this unique charisma mm-hmm. being in a whole body yeah. suit for eight episodes. And then this is the fandom that has definitely reignited the Star Wars fan base, reignited oh, yeah. pop culture. Because yeah. when it first came out, the story about Baby Yoda and the bounty hunter protecting him, yeah, we weren't sure how this was going to play sure. out. Sure. But once we start getting into every episode, mm-hmm. 
it delivers strong on every episode. Right, I mean, because you think back to all of the movies have been around some of the central characters. I mean, you look at the Clone Wars movie, still fe- featured some of the central characters of the prequel movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you even go into Rogue One, it's tied in very heavily to uh, the original film, A New Hope. Solo featured Han Solo, you know. So all of these films and all of these properties that have come out have very heavily, even into the books and comics, you know, have very heavily featured some of the main established characters because, hey, we know what sells, we know what works, we know what people want to see, and that's the main characters. So when they first announce this, it's kind of like, oh, hey, yeah, well, hey, we're doing a Star Wars TV show. You know, it's set, you know, after the Empire's fallen, and it's going to feature a bounty hunter Mandalorian, but it's not the one you're thinking of, and, it, and it's a brand new character. There was a lot of people that went, eh, okay, this might be good, but I got to see a trailer first. Yeah, but for what they delivered and obviously reigniting the fan base with Boba Fett's return. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have Osoka Tano yep. making her live-action debut. Bo-Katan yep. making the debut. And then you have arguably the moment of the year because I think we're in unanimous decision. Mandalorian uh-huh. got it. Uh-huh. This was also the TV moment of the year. Yep. Mark Hamill reprising his role as Luke Skywalker. If you want to have a real fun time and get the biggest like kid grin on your face, go to YouTube and search uh, Luke Skywalker Mandalorian reaction and just watch the reaction videos. Yeah. It, it's so much fun to see. I just watched one the other day where there was an, there was an older woman. I'd say she's maybe about mid to late 50s or so mm-hmm. that grew up watching the movies and, and showed them to her kids but hadn't kept up with them in a while and, and for one reason or another that her son was showing her the scene. And she's just losing her goddamn mind. And it, it it's just so much fun to watch all the reaction videos. Oh, yeah, because it was such a surprise. And in this day and age to have a, oh, yeah. to have something like that, you think about it, the Mandalorian has pulled this off twice. Oh, yeah. Well, the first one was a, a very big feat because we know they didn't, they delayed any merchandise with the child, you know, baby Yoda for like a year. Mm-hmm. So that way nothing, because that's, let's face it, that's how the Avengers time travel suits leaked out was toy leaks yeah you know that's how a lot of stuff leaks out a lot of times so how do you prevent that don't put out any merchandise but this one i feel was easier to pull off you know probably had and i don't know for sure but probably had a real small crew only those who who needed to be there only those who needed to know knew and let's face it you didn't really even have to delay merchandise for this by year merchandise has been coming out of him in that costume since 1983 yeah so any fans online who are looking for the latest star wars toys on amazon or ebay or whatever are going to see you know, 2020, you know, Luke Skywalker and all black figure and go, oh, okay, that's just an, another a new version of the one from Return of the Jedi. Whatever. They're not going to think anything of it. Yeah, absolutely. They did this so crushingly well. I mean, and you want to talk about great uh, rivals, too. I mean, the boys had Carl Urban versus Anthony oh, yeah. Starr. Yeah. You had Pedro Pascal versus Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, Giancarlo Esposito is having a great year, too. Yeah, he's having a phenomenal year, but Pedro Pascal, I think, is won 2020. Absolutely. Like I said, if he doesn't get an award for something this year, it's a crime. Yeah, he's definitely earned it. He's definitely been completely on point in every role he's taken. I mean, so is Giancarlo, so you can't, yeah. you can't argue either way. Yeah. But for TV and what they brought to the table, The Mandalorian set that bar so high. Also, speaking of Giancarlo Esposito, slight divergent. But if Marvel wants to cast him in anything, I did see him as fan art of old man Miles Morales. Okay. And I saw this. I'll have to show you, dig it up and show you. But yeah, that would work if you want to put him in Marvel movies. Well, that's the big rumor that he is coming to the house of M, so to speak. Oh. Not literally, because I don't want to get everybody saying that I heard something about House of M getting made. But he is rumored heavily to be coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
And if you believe Vegas odds, it's Doctor Doom. Ooh, interesting. So I, I, I'm not putting a lot of stock into it. We do locks and leaps. I lock that he's going to be a part of the MCU in some way, oh, shape, yeah. or form. Oh yeah. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be Doctor Doom though, but I'm, I'm not sure exactly until we start hearing some fan cast, you know, some casting announcements for Fantastic Four. Sure. What to expect? But he'd be great in whatever role he plays. Absolutely. I just, I, I want to say though, I, I just don't think he's going to be Doctor Doom. I could see him being another villain, or I could even see him be a Professor X, too. Oh, he'd be good as Professor X. Yes, because he's always been a bad guy, and he does such a great job as it, then why not let him you know, be the you know, the head of the X uh, universe? Mm-hmm. I'm all right with that. Yeah. So that being said, we got a lot of streaming services that we yep. definitely have to give some acknowledgement to. Sure. So obviously Disney Plus mm-hmm. had a great year. Absolutely. Mandalorian will carry it through, and then what they have lined up for 2021, uh-huh. which we'll get into next week, is out, out of this world. Netflix had a strong year. Yep. Amazon Prime, which I think had a great con season, mm-hmm. and a lot of their shows they came out with too have been very exciting, and they have a lot of stuff lined up for next year as well. Yeah. Hulu definitely made its mark too, and they got a bunch of projects coming out as well. Yep. And then lastly, HBO Max has made some waves. Mm-hmm. And we know this because they finally, after all this time, and thanks to Padawan J, Roku uh, finally got on the ball. Yep. And got that service added to there. Uh, they have finally introduced new programming. Yeah, about damn time. Yeah, which I think won't give them a parlay this year for. No. But I think next year they'll waiting, be... Waiting six-plus months to put something new on the service doesn't get you an award. No, definitely not. Uh, but, Pat, let me ask you, who gets the parlay for best streaming service? Uh, I'd have to say Disney+. Plus. Uh, if I had to order it, it'd probably be Disney+, Plus, Netflix, uh, Hulu, HBO Max, and then Amazon Prime. Just because I don't have Amazon Prime, so I don't really watch anything on there. But Disney Plus just continuing to add great content, you know, more like they they added over the course of the year uh, all of the X Men movies, well, all except for Logan, because obviously, uh, and then Dark Phoenix, and and then uh, well, first class, not not first class. What was the last one that just came out? Uh, what whatever whatever it was, um, but. You know, they added, you know, the X, X-Men 1, X-Men 2, X-Men 3, you know, the Wolverine movies. I know the Wolverine isn't on there, but it's coming back in January. Uh, but they added the, the X-Men movies. You know, they've added so much good stuff. And it just continues to be the greatest bang for your buck in terms of you get literally. It, it ain't this bullshit, you know, revolving door like HBO Max likes to do mm. where it's like, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to pull all of this stuff that we own off of the service. And you're going to have to wait you know, however many months for it to come back. No, it's like, hey, it's there. It's there. You ain't got to worry about it unless something weird happens with, you know, streaming rights. But Disney Plus just continues to be big bang for your buck. Netflix, I think I have to put number two just because of the adaptation. They got their own great original content. Don't get me wrong. You know, Orange is the New Black, House of Cards, you know, uh, Knights of Sidonia, the anime series. They got a lot of their great own original content, but just some of the adaptations. Umbrella Academy, like we mentioned. Last Kingdom, one of my favorite shows. Uh, Witcher. You know, they, they've just got so many great adaptation shows that it, it benefits them where they hurt a little bit in the there's a lot of weird stuff added there that you've never heard of when you're just trying to find something big that you missed. Right. Get added to it. Uh, Hulu, I'd, I'd have to put number three just because of what they got. You know, I've got the uh, Hulu live login uh, thanks to my sister. So I get to catch a lot of stuff that I might have missed or whatnot. So that's really cool to add on. HBO Max, it, it's good. You know, just for the back catalog of stuff and the movies they got all on there. But the fact that I could, for, you know, 200 whatever days it was, 
I ha- I could only watch it on my PlayStation or my parents' smart TV if I was at their house was a real pain in the ass. You know, the fact that you took 200 plus days to get your, your head out of your ass and, and get onto Roku and Amazon Fire Stick really hurt you. And, and like I said, waiting that long to put more original content on there really hurt you too. I have to agree. I think that Disney Plus definitely was the streaming service this year. I think for all the original programming that you get, obviously we've talked in detail about The Mandalorian, but Marvel 616 has been phenomenal, mm-hmm. and I think it is very, very slept oh, on. Oh, Christ, they had Clone Wars Season 7, too. Yeah. The, there is a lot that they add on Disney+, Plus, but for the bang for the buck, as Pat touched upon, nobody came close. No. And for what they have lined up next year. Holy shit. Like, that's the one thing that I know you're saying, well, how can you give an award for something that's coming next year? They've set the precedent for how other streaming services need to run. Uh-huh. Because for everything they've added, how they've structured it by doing the weekly shows. Oh, yeah. They haven't done the binge a la Netflix. Right. They have really set the pace that everybody else is trying to follow. So that's why right. I say they get they get the parlay this year for it. And, and I know it's going up in price a little bit in some places around the world. It might be here by like it, a, it, by like March. a by like a dollar or two. Yeah, it's by March. It's a dollar. It's a, but I feel like I'm stealing stuff at this point, just because it's literally almost the entire Disney library. Yeah, animated Pixar, you know Marvel, Star Wars, you name it. It. it probably there i feel like for what i'm paying now i'm stealing stuff it's it's a crime i agree with you too but for everything that disney plus has done they're the benchmark yeah everybody else is trying to catch up to it amazon prime i would give number two okay. because they have got a lot of sleeper shows that came out i know utopia came out and has unfortunately been canceled but that was actually oh. very good very different though very acquired taste they've had so much original programming come out that is now making noise yeah and now is going to get them even more buzz going into the next year. Sure. That I think that they definitely take number two. Netflix has been great as well. Oh, yeah. That obviously Umbrella Academy 2 has been a great season. Yep. We really like that a lot. Uh, Extraction. Oh, okay. With, yeah, yeah. With Chris Hemsworth. Oh, yeah. I mean, that movie Might was. Might be turning into a shared universe, I believe. I, I, I don't even know how you do that. Like, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, that film was just straight up out of the pages of The Expendables. Yeah. And it's just nonstop, just absolutely wild action. So I can't, also can't remember if it was this year or last year, but they got uh, Triple Frontier with uh, mm-hmm. Ben Affleck. That's a great movie, too. Yeah. I mean, they had so much that came out that didn't really make a ton of noise, but it made sure. enough that, it, you know, Netflix is still the originator of the streaming service, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think Disney Plus has overpassed them. Yes. But it's not by much. And Netflix just is going to have so much different stuff coming out, too, that we don't even know about yet. Oh, yeah. Like, they're not going away quietly. Like, no. I don't want to think anybody's saying that they've completely given up on taking the crown of streaming services no, by any means. No, they're not taking this line down. No, they're not. Hulu definitely has got some stuff lined up. I know from all the stuff we talked about at New York Comic Con this year, they've mm-hmm. got a, a very big year coming out. And HBO Max, like I say, now that they have original programming coming out. Yeah. This is where you can start benchmarking them against the Disney Pluses, against the Netflix, against the Amazon Primes. You can't do it until then. And obviously with how they've been having shows and losing shows and re-upping, it seems that now they're starting to get into that moment where they're getting level. It's mm. kind. Of, it's kind of like if you're if you're on a boat. Yeah. You're going up and down, up and down yeah, in waves. Yeah, yeah. It's now finally leveling off, so it's going to be smooth sailing. Yeah. In theory, but for everything they have coming, and that's the whole Warner Brothers movie slate. Mm-hmm. That's a huge incentive for them. That if you're not on HBO Max now, I mean, really, what are you waiting for at this stage? I don't know. I don't know. 
But we'll have to see what they have coming up next year. But for right now, Disney is still king of the streaming services. Mm-hmm. Uh, flipping the comics. Yep. Now, I have to put an asterisk by this. Okay. Because I'm probably going to get a little message that I shouldn't be saying, but I'm actually going to be co-hosting the year-end edition of Cheers to Comics Ooh. with Brian Wayne, and he's giving out the year-end awards. Did it last year with him. It was a great episode, and we're going to do it again this year. So my picks for uh, comics of the year might might shift a little bit between now and then. Sure, sure. But for me, I thought Marvel had a good year. I thought DC had a strong year as well. Mm-hmm. I think that... You know, James Tynan's run on Batman has been what everybody's been talking about. Yeah. I think on the flip side for Marvel, you've been reading a lot of Amazing Spider-Man. Holy shit. The things Nick Spencer is doing are good God. Yeah. It has been great, too. If you're not reading that run, you need to. Yeah. I I agree. I've been catching up on it since I just signed up for Marvel Unlimited. Uh, it's been just excellent writing. And I've definitely been into it. I've also been digging Marauders. I've been talking about that. That and X-Force have been my two big... X-Men title books this year. Yeah. That I'm just I'm fully engulfed with and I'm really interested to see where we're going in the future with with how Hickman's story is weaving cuz we're just getting out of X of Swords. Mm-hmm. And then The Reign of X is coming. So I mean there's a lot of stuff that is you know happening with Marvel and it's been a very strong year of comics. So that's what really stuck out with me. I know we'll definitely deep dive into a little more on Cheers to Comics. Yeah. Uh, which I believe the episode is going to come out next week. Okay. But it's something to stay in time for. But uh, definitely it's been a strong year for comics overall, too. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean, even for me, uh, like I mentioned, the Nick Spencer Sp- Amazing Spider-Man run has been nothing short of mind-blowing. Seriously, read it. It's it's nuts, the envelope he's pushing with that story right now. Uh, Charles Soule, Darth Vader run. Just where they're going with it is so far and away more than what I thought they'd go with it. And then I, I got more into Batman this year than I have in probably 20-plus years, where Batman was my guy back in, the, back in the 90s with the animated series. And then Superman the Animated Series came along, and that was the end of that. You know, but just getting in, into, you know, everything going on with, with the Batman comic and then de- uh, Detective Comics, you know, that has been a, a very nice surprise and just how great that run has been. Mm. Yeah, there's been so much wind that's been going on. And obviously the whole pandemic year is yeah. definitely throwing everything off. But comics have been a very good staple to get a little escapism. And, you know, there's so many different ways you can go with books, too. I mean, Daredevil has also been great, too. Yeah. So a lot that you can digest. So, I mean, I'm going to reserve our parlay for that until after the cheersies. Okay. So we'll definitely have to say that. And especially, I mean, there's so much we can even talk about next year, too. Tom Taylor had a great year, mm-hmm. and I still can't get over the fact he's taken over Nightwing. Like, I am yeah. so freaking excited about yeah. that book. Don't even want to spoil that too much. But that's for another time. So the parlay for comics, though, if we have to give one, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll call it a draw between Spider-Man and Batman. This sure, year. sure. So let's go to... The comic moment of the year. Mm-hmm. Now, this one, I think, is going to tie into the final award, too, and that's con of the year. Okay. Because for me, the comic moment of the year had to be DC fandom. That was a good one. Yeah. I think for what DC Comics did in starting their own Comic-Con, mm-hmm. they didn't do San Diego this year. No. They definitely unloaded a 24-hour window yep. of news, 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 news. And they didn't hold back. No. We're talking trailers. No. We're talking video games. We're talking everything under the sun that was DC. So much so that they originally changed up the slate. Yeah. 
and bumped everything else to a later date. Well, it was like a month later. It was a month. It was a month later because I want to say it was what August twenty second and September fifteenth, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I would say, my moment of the year because for what they did, and I'm not taking a shot at San Diego about this. But they definitely were leading the charge for how Comic-Con should be done in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I know San Diego was the first one to come out when everything shut down. I'm not taking a slight away from it because, you know what, they gave us content. Yeah. And obviously DC saw what they did and decided to go a different route and improve on those. And then even New York Comic-Con, when they came out later in the year, definitely improved on that as well. Yeah. But for me, DC fandom was dead. Uh, my comic moment of the year probably had to be Batman Catwoman comic finally coming out and finally, finally, finally getting the Phantasm introduced into the comic lore. I have loved that. I've, in fact, that movie just, uh, it's uh, whatever anniversary was just like a day or two ago. Yeah. That I have loved that movie for the better part of, you know, 20 or whatever years it's been now. And the fact that the Phantasm, because that's a, such a great story top from start to finish, you know. It is probably the most adult animated story you will see that's not like specifically written like a black label thing. Because I know some of the later Justice League, especially Christ, especially the last Justice League movie, Justice League Dark movie that came out. Good God Almighty. Yeah. That's adult. Uh, But just in terms of being like, it's something that kids can, it's geared towards kids, but it's also a little darker for the adults. That story and just Andrea Beaumont getting introduced and just that whole story of he fell in love with her and was ready to give up bat did the role of Batman to, to you know spoiler alert but it's Christ twenty some odd years ago you know ready to give up the role of Batman to marry her and this and that the, the fact that like they didn't take elements of that story and weave them into the mythos I felt was a missed opportunity but the fact that they're taking the time now to go hey we finally recognize how great that story is and how great that movie is. We're going to bring it into the comics. Got me real happy. Yeah, Tom King's run uh, has been very... I, th- I think it's very good. Yeah. I, I know that um, I've had some discussions with people about this, and it, it's very, it varies between uh, conversations. But for me, I thought what Tom did in bringing... I think he's written about every single Batman villain possible mm-hmm. and introduced, I think, a couple new ones along the way. Obviously, having that run almost 100 issues. Yeah. You know, since he took over the role from Snyder and Capullo. Uh, he's definitely carved his own niche with it. I think, like I said, a lot of it was. Had a lot of stones killing Alfred. Yeah, that was a that was a ballsy move. And, I mean, I'm just waiting for it to get retconned. Yeah, yeah it will. Yeah, you, you know it's going to happen. Batman's going to do something weird in, you know, comics. But still, the fact that what he's done there definitely I thought was an interesting take and then where, where he's gone bringing Phantasm in finally yeah, fucking finally yeah I mean just to have the the stones to do that I mean you gotta give you know a tip of the cap to him so yeah. definitely gonna be you know like I said 2020 was an exciting year and then 2021 the stuff that we've heard coming down is gonna be definitely enticing as well mm-hmm. so so much wind to have here but that was our picks for the parlays for 2020. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let's have that discussion. What was your favorites in movie, TV, comics, and more? Is there a com- is there a category we didn't discuss on here? That's the question we're posing to you, ODPH Society. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Chris. And Lance. Asking you to check out our new podcast, Comic Book Keepers. Join us as we delve deep into comic lore to uncover the history behind a wide variety of comic book characters. Each episode will feature one hero, villain, team, or ensemble, and break down what makes these heroes super. We'll give you recommendations on what storylines to read. Explain how characters were created. Discuss adaptations, costumes, and answer comic fandom's what-if questions. Yeah, and spoiler alert, these conversations can get pretty nerdy. This is 
comic book keepers. This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 podcast brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast and time to talk those one shots pad got to talk a couple things to talk about uh we've got a rather interesting uh quote comment whatever you want to say uh from the DC films president Walter Hamada uh who did an interview with the New York Times uh and that is in regards to some uh potential movies i guess you could say involving okay. the DC universe that could be made exclusively for HBO Max uh so of course as we all know Wonder Woman 1984 came out over the weekend and it, it, it's doing very well you know as we said uh, in the first segment you know half of all HBO Max subscribers watched it on the first day uh but so now with some of these other movies coming down the pike that we know or have been rumored or talked about like Batgirl Static Shock uh what what are the potential of those being HBO Max exclusives uh, so uh, the, the head of DC Films, that being, like I mentioned, Walter Hamada, or where is the name? Yep, there it is, Walter Hamada, uh, po- specifically pointed, like I said, to Batgirl and Static Shock as two, quote, two properties with strong potential to become HBO Max exclusives. Uh, these movies will still have some connections to DC's live-action cinematic multiverse, but the shift to HBO Max would allow for smaller budgets or less traditional forms of storytelling. Quote, with every movie that we're looking at now, we are thinking, what's the potential Max spinoff? Hamada told the New York Times. Uh, as we all know, originally Joss Whedon was attached to write and direct Batgirl movie, but he dropped out in February 2018 after he wasn't able to really crack out uh, the story. Uh, so that's been going through some stuff. I know that I uh, mentioned back what DC fandom that they were going to work on a, a static shock movie or something, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So it, it appears that they're still going to be going through with some of these films, but just the ones that aren't necessarily guaranteed home runs out of the park that they know are going to do super strongly well. They're going to put out on HBO Max uh, as exclusives. I'm okay with this. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I, like if they want to follow suit what Disney Plus is doing with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I'm fine with it as long as the films are quality. Yeah, I'm okay. Like I just don't want them to do like try doing a shared universe. Yeah, like make the story stand out, make the characters really mean something. Yeah, and I'm okay with it. Like you don't need to have everything hit the box office. If you want to test it out there and then come out with a sequel on a box office, sure, I'm cool with that too. Yeah, no, so that will be something to check out. Uh, sticking with kind of the Warner Media uh, family, I guess you could say. i got some interesting stuff coming to HBO Max uh, in January, some stuff that I am very excited of, but I'll build up to that a little bit, give you a little tease. Uh, for some, for those of you looking to get a theatrical experience of, of a new release at home, uh, John Lee Hancock's new psychological thriller, The Little Things, uh, starring Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto, uh, is arriving on the streaming service uh, January 29th. Uh, that's the same day that it is released in theaters, and much like Wonder Woman, 1984 it will be on for 31 days at no additional cost uh, to hbo max subscribers uh also getting added uh next month will be movies such as kill bill volumes one and two uh and then the original mummy uh with brendan Fraser. also the mummy returns will be added uh and then you've got other movies such as mad max 2 the road warrior and then mad max fury road uh, are also coming to next month as well but but, 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 the big one, the ones that I am most excited for uh, coming next month is the entirety of Batman the Animated Series. All right. Fuck yes. <laughs> Batman Beyond, 
Also, uh, Batman Begins, uh, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises uh, will be added to the streaming service. Uh, Superman Doomsday, and then Superman Man of Tomorrow. Ooh, that's the new one. Yes. Uh, and then Superman Returns uh, will be joining the DC lineup next month, too. So, God, I know what the hell I'm watching come January 1st on HBO Max. Batman Animated Series, baby. Give it yeah, to me. Yeah, that's going to be all the video properties from DC Universe Infinite. Almost. Almost. Uh, almost. Uh, it, uh, it, it is missing Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Okay. It's almost all of them, though. It's, it's, it's the important ones. Yeah, it's the, yeah I was going to say. Also, the, Super, also, Superman the Animated Series isn't on there, but it needs to be. Well, I'm sure that they're going to acquire the rights. I think that now they're making the full transition over yeah. to yeah. Uh, whatever DC Universe Unlimited is going to be, or on Infinite is going to be, yep. rather, I should say, that I think yeah, you're going to see everything wind up going to HBO Max. Yep. So for my one-shots, uh, we definitely have to say a... A happy birthday to Stan Lee. Yes. He would have been 98 today. The so, man of the myth of legend. Yes, to the man of the myth of legend. Uh, obviously, rest in peace to him and for everything he's done. But 98 years old, he would have yeah. been. One movie I did see over the weekend, though, and I would say I thought was a lot better than Wonder Woman 1984, is Disney Pixar's Soul. I've heard good things about this. This was uh, very, very good. Okay. I, I will say it's on Disney Plus right now. Uh, you don't need the uh, extra uh, package like they did right. for Mulan. So right. this was supposed to come out to theaters, but they did drop it on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. And my God, man, this thing was impressive. I have to say the story is about a musician who's lost his passion and has, is goes through something after he finally gets a big break uh-huh. and winds up actually passing away, so to speak. Ah. And then uh, is trying to find his way back because obviously he's had his big break in his life. And it's a very retrospective movie. Okay. Uh, one that has a great message behind it. A little bit, you know, dark and grim. Sure. For the uh, tones, but it is done so well. Jamie Foxx is the voice of the main character, Joe. Tina Fey does the voice of 22. And it just goes from there. It is phenomenal. It definitely has a great message behind it. Yeah. Uh, it might go over some, like if you have a younger audience, it might go over their heads a little bit. Yeah. But it is so well done. Like I say, I cannot speak highly about this enough. I think everybody should go check it out. It's only 140 minutes, so uh, or one hour and 40 minutes, rather. But it's so worth the time. And the wildest note I took away from this movie, Uh huh. Trent Reznor. From Nine Inch Nails scored this movie. Jesus Christ, that's a jump. I did not know about this. I mean, I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah, that's wild. But the music in this is obviously great. I mean, if you're in the jazz, there's so much yeah. uh, excellent music about this. And like I say, I can't stress it enough. It definitely has a great message to it. And like I say, it's not something that I am too familiar with watching Pixar movies. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. It's not the first thing I'm, on my plate, but right. I wanted to give this a good shot because... Obviously, this got overshadowed a little bit by Wonder sure, Woman 84 coming sure, out. Sure, sure, sure. And I was like, I need something to really... I mean, Pixar's not one to shy away from the more adult, darker theme tones. I mean, if anyone's ever seen the movie Wally, I, I remember when that came out in theaters, I was uh, on vacation in Florida visiting my aunt and cousin. Uh, you know, and my aunt said, hey, you know, you want to take your cousin to go see Wally? She really wants to see it, but I don't really want to sit through it. I go, yeah, sure, I'll, t- I'll take her to go see a movie. So my brother, sister, and I went to go see Wally. You know, and, and God, my cousin had to be maybe like eight, nine, ten years old at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember sitting through it, and that has got some very adult, like, it's got some themes that would be a little lost on the kids. You know, 
uh, trash piled all over earth. They can't live anywhere. Everyone's, you know, come kind of lazy and they go right around in these automated chairs. So they got really fat and all this. I'm just sitting there watching this. And, and I got back to my aunt's house. She goes, oh, what do you think of the movie? I was like, oh, it's great. She, oh, did, did your cousin enjoy it? Oh, yeah, she enjoyed it. I'm like, I'm not sure she's going to understand some of the themes of the movie. But it was, they, so they're not afraid to go there. No, they're definitely not. Like I say, I I don't catch that many Pixar movies. Sure. But for me, I wanted to give this one a shot. I heard nothing but great recommendations from a bunch of yeah. our friends. And I was like, okay, let me give this a shot. And it's very, like I say, it's dark and grim when it's talking about death mm-hmm. and afterlife. And, yeah. And like I say, the overall mo- you know message of the story is you can't take a moment for granted. Mm-hmm. And you really need to appreciate the time you're in and, and go from there. And like I say, I thought Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey did an amazing job. And just the voices they have for this film, too. Yeah. I mean, this was just a top-notch production. And I know with Pixar, that's what usually comes oh, with God, it. So, yeah. so I wasn't like, oh, God, well, yeah. completely like, oh, this yeah. is the first I've seen this. Yeah. Just the message it did and you know the self-discovery that's involved with this, I thought yeah. is perfect way to really give some inspiration and some hope that if you're really you know just not – sure of you know what's to come just to appreciate every day let's say i know i know les wants to see this so i will see this at some point yeah dude it, it is great i i mean like i say i, I definitely want to rewatch it mm-hmm. um and i can't speak highly enough about it it is on disney plus right now uh so definitely check out soul while it's there i give it a very very high recommendation uh, speaking of recommendations comic shop this week uh x-men number 16 is coming out for marvel so definitely uh, whatever Hickman's been doing there in the in the X universe has always been top notch. Yeah, and I know they have some more King and Black uh, spinoffs coming because obviously that whole storyline is King and Black, Iron Man slash Doctor Doom. Good God Almighty! Yeah, anytime they pair up, <laughs> like let's get weird. Yeah, it always gets weird with those two. Like yeah. I don't know it's why. It's never simple. No, it isn't. Like at least they're not going back to medieval times because that's happened. Yeah, true story, folks. Uh, flipping over to the DC Comics side. Uh, Justice League Endless Winter 2 comes out, so obviously that storyline's been something, to say the least. Uh, and there is also the Batman Annual, which, it, like, I'm sorry, when they put numbers on the annuals, they should just stop doing it. Yeah. Because every time they relaunch a series, they come out with a new annual. But obviously this one's about Clown Hunter, and if you know anything about Tinian's run, um, it's going to be getting weird, and it's going to go a lot of different places. Yep. So, any more recommendations? Definitely head up over to our friends over at Cheers the Comics Wednesday poll list. Obviously, you can head over to our Twitter account at OD Parlay Hour, and we will point you to some great comic podcasts that definitely give you something to finish out twenty twenty strong with. Also, uh, Amazing Spider Man uh, number fifty five from Nick Spencer is coming out this week, uh, and it's going to be fucking batshit insane. Yeah, there's so much good books coming out too. Like I say. You definitely just want to go to your local comic shop, support them in any way, shape, or form you can, and definitely just go in there. If you're not sure what you should pick up, go, hey, what do you recommend? Trust us. They will give you some top-notch recommendations. I know I can speak locally for Justin at SoundGround. He will tell you a bunch of books you need to go pick up. In fact, we have to share his weekly poll list here on our Facebook page. So definitely head on over to OchoDoroPolio.com, like our Facebook page, and you'll see those those updates pop up momentarily. So that all being said, Pad, the music heard on this episode of the ODPH podcast is out of Shout at the Robots. They have a Patreon out. They're doing a lot of great things on there. But where do you find out about them? OchoDuroParleyHour.com. That's right. You head on over to the music section. You can definitely check them out. You can check out our good friend Tyler and Second Suitor, who is doing a performance 
Wednesday, when you hear this podcast, on their Facebook page. He's doing an acoustic set. Uh, it's going to be, uh, he's got a lot of cool stuff planned there. But you can definitely check out what they're up to. You can check out what's going on with Tom Jolu, who has a new album coming out, and it sounds fantastic. And also Floodlands and all the great music you hear. And Brian Wolf, too, from Fair City Fire. All the great music you hear on the ODPH, you can check out there. Also on our website, you can check out friends of the show, such as Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, Excite Wrestling, Organizational Link Support, and Black Lives Matter. And definitely want to shout out all our amazing friends in our pod groups via their Podchaser pages. Because frankly, if you're not on Podchaser and you're in a group, you're not in a group. I'm sorry. You have to be Podchaser certified. It's like Facebook verified. So that being said, definitely shout out everybody in Pod Nation. Shout out to Legion Independent Podcast. Shout out to Alternate Reality Radio. Shout out to the Apocalypse and shout out to hashtag six seven podcast and our friends over at eight one two two Productions. Rich Ron, Mike C, and hashtag Big Natty Cool. Still on Twitter, Pat. Uh oh, he made it through an entire year. What does he have planned for twenty twenty one? Patreon.com slash eight one two two Productions to find out. All of that, our T Public store, which everybody's picking up some merch, so definitely want to rock some ODPH gear in 2021. And so much more can be found at OchoDuroParleyHour.com. That's all I got for 2020. So for the one and only Pat one j Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. And thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parley Hour. Have a safe and happy new year, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs>